Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, happy Easter. We're here, it's Easter Sunday, and I wanted to wish you all a very, very happy Easter. I also wanted to just connect with you and recognize that this last month has been a bit challenging. I've been hearing from a lot of people, a lot of coaching clients, a lot of students, a lot of friends that the energy is a little bit heavy, that they're feeling weighed down, tired, fatigued. And you know, there's a lot of changes happening right now. It's been about a year since everyone was in lockdown with the COVID pandemic, and now things are starting to reemerge in some areas of the world, not in all areas of the world. And this again brings up a lot of uncertainty and feelings of uh, what is going to happen. There's some heaviness, there's some anxiety, and it's very natural to feel a lack of energy, especially when our unconscious mind is working on overdrive to process all of these different emotions and fears and desires um, and frustrations even that are coming up. So I want to encourage you to keep going and to not uh, give up, but to just do a little bit every day of your practice, whatever that is for you, whether it's five minutes of breathing, whether it's an entire full traditional Ashtanga yoga sequence, or maybe it's just sitting and observing the breath in a Vipassana type meditation, and sometimes even just lying with your legs up the wall or lying over a backbender can be really helpful for keeping the heart and the mind open and bringing some new rejuvenating energy into your morning routine or into your afternoon routine, your daily practice. I also want to let you know about a workshop I will be teaching next week on Sunday April 11th with the Miami Life Center. It's called Reset, Refocus, Reboot, Your Personal Practice. So this might be something that many of you are interested in coming to. It will be two sessions. Our first session, you are going to be guided through a couple of the Kriyas. We'll look at uh, how to work on Uddiyana Bandha Kriya and some Kapalabhati and some cleansing practices that you can do to help reset the nervous system, some breathing practices. And then I'm going to um, talk you through a little bit of a lead class where we'll look at how to purify your nervous system and your body, your physical body, and how to move the spine and in the main six directions to get a holistic and integrated yoga practice, especially if you don't have time to do a full sequence or series. There'll be a short break and then in the second session, we're going to look at five powerful ways to help purify or cleanse your mind, body, and spirit, uh, ways that will leave you feeling lighter, happier, and healthier. I want to include lots of time for questions and answers as well as these 
techniques that we can use to help shift our energy, especially during those times that we're feeling a little heavy, a little tired, maybe even a little bored with your practice. How do you bring your practice back online and reboot it and give it more energy, more life uh, so that you can feel lighter again, feel happier, feel healthier, feel more aligned with your true self and uh, your higher purpose and higher calling in life so that we can live our most authentic life um, and go out into the world and, and also make the world a better place. So if you'd like to register for the workshop, you'll find a link in the show notes here. Please register or head on over to my website. You'll find a link on my homepage or in my bio links on Instagram. Speaking of people who make the world a better place, our guest today is someone who's out there living her best life and practicing to the fullest each day and teaching students and online, offline, doing many, many um, things. And I know she doesn't need much of an introduction. You all know who she is already, Laruga Gleiser, and we're just so honored to have her here. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony Slater, and Russell's here with me. I'm so excited to be here with you today. And we're here with a dear friend of ours, LaRuga. Hi, LaRuga. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing really well. Thank you. That's great. Where are you today in the world? Um, I'm in Stockholm, Sweden, where I live. And you're a Swedish citizen. You're a Svenska. Yeah. <laughs> I don't look Svenska, but I am a Swedish citizen. Yeah. Oh, there's a, is there a look? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that was before I came here, I was just assuming, well, especially in Stockholm, I was just assuming everyone would be, you know, tall and blonde and blue eyed. Yeah. Like, but it is much more diverse here than I think people would realize, would realize like before kind of stepping into the country, but but there are plenty of tall, I mean, I tall blonde people, but I'm, I feel quite short here. You know, I'm not, I'm not super tall, but um, yeah. Yeah. So. I could never quite understand being uh, Swedish that, you know, S Swedish, Jewish, uh, I think they sw swoosh. Swoosh. <laughs> I could never quite understand like why I was so short and ugly, but it was, it was like, <laughs> it was like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Um. <laughs> But yeah, my my grandmother was a full Swede. She was from from Gutenberg. I don't I don't actually know how to say that correctly. Do you know how to say that that city correctly? The way that I've been told, it's Gothenburg. Gothenburg, right? Go Gothenburg. Gothenburg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Okay, yeah. that's where we're from. Evidently, the the um, the Lunds are. I I thought that we were from Lund, which is like some college town, I guess, yeah. in the south. Yeah. I thought we were from there, but it turns out we were from, from Gothenburg. Okay. So I was like, okay, Gothenburg. Yeah, it's either, it's Gothenburg or Jotobori. <laughs> wow. Jotobori. Jotobori, too. That, so it's kind of like, Gothenburg is kind of like what an, like, you know, an American would say, I think. And then Jotobori is actually, I think, what a Swedish person would say. Wow, Jotobori. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I'd have yeah. to double check that, but I <laughs> think. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, please. Well, please. Yeah. And you've been living and teaching there for a decade now. Yeah. So I moved here late 
2009. So, I mean, I would say probably more officially like 2010, but I was here, I moved here like November, 2009. Um, I think I took a short trip to India and then I was pretty much kind of landed here in 2010. Mm. Wow. And, and did you come there to teach Were you offered a job? Is that what brought you? No, no, no. I mean, I I moved here because of David. So, okay. uh, Yeah. Yeah. My boyfriend or in Sweden, in Sweden, you would say you're Sambo. What does yeah. Sambo mean? No. No, your boyfriend's a, 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 a Sambo. That's awful. Well, you know, you don't, I mean, I think it's a more sophisticated way to say, okay, I'm just living with someone or I'm, or like, I don't uh. think people don't say shacking up anymore, but um, <sighs> here, if you were, if you're in a long-term partnership, but you might not be officially married, they call it a Sambo. Which I think is really fascinating. I'm like flushed with embarrassment right now. <laughs> That's really racist, though. Is it? Was, what is that? That's what they say. I don't think it's a bad thing. Do you know the? the, the do you know the English term? No, no. Oh, thank God. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> Educate us. I don't no, know. Either. I don't really want to. Um, when you have uh, the fucking. Um, Racist white Americans in the South would have um, African American or black sculptures of of little men in their front lawn, and it was called a sambo. Really? Yeah. Oh, I never knew that. You never knew that? No. I was so. I it was hysterical when you said your boyfriend was a a sambo. I was like, whoa. Whoa, that's weird. Okay. Yeah, I didn't mean it in that way. I didn't mean it in that way, but Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> I don't know funny. where to go in the interview from here. <laughs> um You know, I've always felt an incredible affinity with you, Laruga. It seemed like everywhere I went, I heard about you. Uh whether it was it was Sharon Moon in Austin, Texas, or when I was we were in Taiwan at the same time. And, uh, you know, meeting you finally in New York was was fantastic to finally get a chance to meet you because I'd always heard about you, you know, back before social media, like in social media, you always you, you see people. Yeah. And you see them all the time. But, you know, we used to just hear about people. Just, just hear about people. And I heard about you and they're like, you should you should check out Laruga. She's incredible. And that, that's what it, that's what I would always hear. And I'm I'm just really grateful to to have you on on the show today. And I'm just thank you. Oh well, thank you. I I really appreciate being asked to come on. Um, yeah, but you know, I also I also heard about you, Russell. But I it, it's it's because I think I told you when I met you in New York. I you were in a class when I was in Austin, Texas. Just oh. one day, I remember. And then I remember hearing about, of course, because I was in Taiwan, but of course, I don't think I'd ever been in Mysore the same time as you. But then when I was in New York, that was the first time I actually had saw you again. Yeah. Um, after, you know, I didn't really know who you were when I was in Austin because I was, I was living there for maybe about 10 months, something mm. like that, practicing while I was working. So. And was that, that at Sharon's? Yeah. Yeah. I took quite a few classes for, 
from mostly from her, but also there was another French teacher there. I think her name was Anouk or something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I know Anouk. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And was I helping Sharon teach the class or was I just like near you in the class doing the Mysore room? No, as I recall, I think you were like helping her or assisting or or something like this. But I don't think what I recall from that class is I think you were just in town visiting. I don't think you were. Yeah, you were like stopping by and because I remember she had some story about you in the class and. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's safe to say that she adores me. And I Aww. and I, I met her when I was twenty-one, so it's like twenty-four years ago. And um I walked into her class and started practicing with her. Um and so yeah, I would pop in. So what I, I would pop in, I would help Sharon whatever with whatever she was doing. If she was doing a workshop, you know, I'd help her. If she was running a class, I would help and and then I'd lose 10 pounds because she always had the heat up to like 120. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm kind of svelte now. That's nice. Because <laughs> like in Austin, it's already 100 degrees outside yeah. and it's 120 yeah. inside the room. It was insane. Like doing yoga in a sauna. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It was exactly that. Yeah. When yep. I met you, LaRuga, I think it was in 2007. And yeah. Was that your first trip to Mysore? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. Yeah. You you were a fabulous practitioner, as Russell mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it took me a while. It took me almost almost 10 years to get to Mysore. Like, so I I feel I wasn't one of these people that popped over there like early on when I started the practice. It was um yeah, it took me a while to like really finally make the trip there. So yeah. it was it was the same for me. It took me ten years. I was, you know, I was just stone broke. Really, I really I wanted to go, but it was just like I, um, I think I took out a student loan actually, and oh, wow. went. Yeah, yeah, right after school. Mm. Um, I have to say it's it's um, it's you strike me as an uh, extremely quiet person and uh it's i thought it was interesting to me the idea of putting you on the radio because i don't you tend to it from my perspective maintain a kind of reserve and does that resonate with you does that sound like you yeah i think um often it depends on the context of like Mm. or the environment but i i tend to be yeah, maybe reserved is the is is the right word, but I am very observant. I like I'm like I, I really look at nuance. I'm 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 into subtlety, and I like to listen. And um, so it's, but I do understand how it comes off as very reserved. Um, but I, I guess you know, on one level, depending on the environment, I, I tend to run a little bit more on that introverted side. But there are times I can be quite, you know, extroverted too. It it, it just kind of depends on, um, yeah, like the environment or the context. I wonder if it's a kind of um, brahmacharya, where you are reserving energy that that's needed for practice. Yeah, like I don't know how, because I, I feel like I've always run that way. Like even at a young age, I don't know if it's always conscious, but I 
when I started to practice yoga, you start to definitely be more conscious of where the energy is expended. Mm-hmm. And I, I do need to have time alone to like pick up my reserve because I like people a lot, but it, you know, even with teaching, a lot of energy can come out of me really quickly. And I, I do have to get that back by being uh, on my own or having some alone time for sure, where I think other people get their energy from other people where I tend to get it more in those times, like when I'm on my own and yeah, I'm happy to give it when I can, but yeah. <laughs> yeah those very classic, like uh, introverted personality. I'm, I'm a little bit the same way if I'm, you know, need to be extroverted, I can be, but also really needing to like recharge yourself with like quiet time alone, <laughs> not <laughs> interacting with anyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely run that way. Yeah. I remember when we were living together in New York, when we were doing the video um, shoot that year. Uh, For sure. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's been hidden in a cave. (laughs) Somewhere in a vault. (laughs) I heard just recently somebody asked me about that. And I was like, I have no telling like if that will ever (laughs) see the light of day, but. I know. We we all hope maybe one day it will. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it was it was so it was so funny because I think we we're both sort of similar that way where we were like both hiding in our rooms a lot. And then every once in a while we'd come out and like, you know, have a nice conversation or we'd walk to our venue together. And it was so enjoyable and so lovely. And then we'd like both just like hide out in our rooms again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad that you didn't think that was weird because. <laughs> Because I don't, you know, it's like no offense to anyone, but it's just like, yeah, like just having that time is so essential for, you know, yeah. Yeah. No, I totally got it. I was like, oh, this is perfect. We're like, we'd make excellent roommates. (laughs) Well, that Uh, makes me happy to hear that. Harmony and I are are both that way. Um, I think I know that I come off as a, as a person that talks a lot and is, um, you know, gregarious or whatever, but I'm also like, I, I hide in my studio. Mm. I hide from people in my own house. Mm. And it's, um, it's funny when we're on, when we're, when we do the switch and one of us is in a mood to talk and the other one is not in that mood. Uh. <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah, uh, here, here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> but David's quite outgoing and very, he's, he appears very extroverted. Would you say he's more extroverted than you? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, I mean, he, he needs his alone time sometimes, but I think he gets energy from people. Not that it's parasitic, but he really, like, he really takes people in. He, he enjoys like, I mean, when we do workshops or retreats together, like he'll have everyone's name learned like day one. And I'm like, I'm still struggling like day five, like at a retreat. (laughs) Like, not that I don't feel people, but it's just like, it just, it's, it's something that he's has like a a good skill set with, like, it just comes really natural to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, like, you know, he, he likes those alone times, but he's, he, he pulls, he gets more inspiration and energy also from people. Yeah. Yeah. You're a good balancing pair. How did the yeah. two of you? How did the two of you meet? We met in Mysore mm-hmm. in two thousand nine. 
And did you did you like his shorts? What what, what was it? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, I'm just trying to. It was just. It was interesting because I remember that season when we all came. It was like we had like a week or two weeks, like an un, an oddly long like lead class like session before we started Mysore. So. I think I was in the second batch and all of us would be just kind of sitting on the stairs and like every morning he was, he would be there with like a certain same group of people. Mm -hmm. And that's how I like just first just struck up a conversation with him. Um, It's just through, you know, I had another friend there with me and then he would be sitting up there and we'd all just be chatting. And, but I just remember that like during like the off hours when people are kind of like milling around uh, Gokulam or whatnot, I just remember he would never be around. And then I remember one time I saw him and I was like, hey, where have you been? You've been hiding out. You know, and, like, we were kind of like making fun of him. And that's kind of how it just started. It was like kind of through this friendly exchange. So, yeah, that's it wasn't the shorts. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, he just. Yeah, it just, he ran a little, he was a little bit different. I don't know. It's so strange how it just, because I, because of, if I compare it to some of my prior relationships, there was more of a calmness, like with him that was different than with other relationships that I had had. And there was just something I really appreciated about it. Um, Yeah, I just felt like an energy of calm. And that was something that was kind of quite different than what I was experiencing prior. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. It must have drawn you in, though, because you ended up in Sweden. Yeah, which was like a surprise because, you know, one thing that was very like mature of David, because he was just like, yeah, there's one thing to like each other in Mysore. There's another thing to like each other out of Mysore. <laughs> Fucking tell me about it. It's true. <laughs> he was really like, you know, come, you know, come to Sweden. Like, let's see how it is. Like, just let's see how, because you also have to like, you know, the place you have to like me outside of that, out of sight. Because, you know, it could be, in Mysore, it's like, it's just like a different, it's a bubble, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. not always reality. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, you're I, on vacation, like a prolonged sort of place where you, you don't really have a lot of stress. You don't have a lot of like, you know, necessarily like the world caving in on you. You can create your own little um, perfect sort of environment for you to really thrive in. That's so true. Yeah. And I think that was quite a significant step in our relationship just to kind of come here. And, you know, I ended up kind of, I ended up staying for not as long. At first it was going to be a month and then I ended up staying just to write out like the time I could stay. It's like three months. Mm -hmm. And then, then from there we, we just entertained like, okay, let's, cause to get the, um, cause what was it at first I had to get like, um, um, authorization to just to live and work here. So, but I had to do that um, outside of Sweden. I had to do that going back to the U.S. So we just went through that paperwork, and um, we stayed. Of course, we communicated as regularly as possible while I was away, and then I was back in Sweden um, by the end of the year, actually. So, wow. it's it's amazing because whenever I like somebody, I just move to where they live. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, but it's you don't often you don't often see um, the reverse happening. I mean, 
often I think I think you know it's men that, that go off and and do that kind of thing. Um, mm. Was it hard for you the idea of of moving to to Sweden or to to do that to to drop everything and go? Um. Well, it was interesting at that time in my life. I was considering moving from where I was living because I was living in Columbus, Ohio. I was actually considering moving to the West Coast. That mm-hmm. was kind of in my mind. So I knew that I wanted to change like where I was living. And that was the plan that but prior to that, I was just kind of thinking, I think I'll go more West. Mm-hmm. But um, when I came to Sweden for those three months and I just really appreciated and it was kind of interesting because it was like the best weather they'd had in like forever. So (laughs) (laughs) it was like very unusually like sunny and clear and beautiful. Um, But there is something about the Swedish culture that I really appreciate and actually just European culture that really resonated with me that I didn't realize until I actually was here for a significant amount of time. the process to like just to move here was, was fairly seamless. I mean, it was just going through an interview at one of their consulates or whatnot, but, but culturally it, there are differences of course that, you know, took some time for me to, to get used to. But um, at the same time, you know, so many, like there's, it's so rare you would ever meet a Swedish person that doesn't speak English and, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of the same kind of cultural undertones. Like they, there's so much, like when you go to the movies, they never dub the movies. It's always in English if it's a, right. you know, they'll have subtitles. So there's some things that just were not so uncomfortable that can be if you are uh, moving to another country. Um, if they dub all the movies in Canada, I hate that. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> a Canadian, you know, it's so different. Ugh. Can you think of some of the differences that you noticed? Well, you know, like being American, like Americans are just, you know, it's just a, it's a super chatty culture and a very curious culture. Like I, when I go back to the U S after, um, cause I have of course longer gaps, um, visit, visiting the U S it's just Americans will just talk to anybody. <laughs> And, and even that is not the case. Yeah, it's so rare a stranger is going to talk to you. Yeah, that's, that's so really true. true. I was in an airport once in America, and this uh, young woman just struck up a conversation with me, which is like also it's not very Canadian as well. Canadians don't just like really start talking because it's cold. <laughs> yeah, maybe it has to do with the weather. <laughs> But she, by the end of like our, you know, 20 minute conversation, she had basically told me her whole life story. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's and I was like, wow, I'm, I'm in America. Yeah. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. And Americans are very, the, another thing, just when you step out of it and you go back into it, because I, you know, you're so used to it when you're raised in there, but Americans are so complimentary. Mm. That's another thing I didn't realize. Like, it's just you know, going to the grocery store. Oh, I like your hair. Oh, I like that shirt you have on. Oh, like it's very, it's, but in Sweden, it's very rare. Like someone will just, a stranger will just compliment you or, and I'm like, okay, like no wonder Americans have, you know, strong (laughs) self-esteem. Everyone is like complimentary and they're very vocal about it. 
That's amazing because my my grandmother is infamous. She's full Swede. Mm. Never complimented anyone ever. <laughs> and my mom is the exact like she went exactly the opposite. She had enough of it, and she's just like that that girl Harmony described. <laughs> like she will talk to anybody. She'll tell them exactly how much she likes about them. Tell them her whole life story. <laughs> Because she just she grew up in that environment and she couldn't she it was just so foreign to her. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a you know it's kind of the thing you can be if you want to be left alone in Sweden that can definitely happen. But I do there is something refreshing about just kind of that curiosity and that openness that Americans have that I actually quite appreciate. Um, yeah, it's just, and it's it's funny how it just surprises me when I go back. And but in Sweden, it's like Swedes are they're slower to warm up, but I also feel that there's like they they're very uh, they're very good people. They're very solid people. You know, mm-hmm. it's just done in a different way, and um, uh, and so and they're very humble too. Because sometimes I've seen that in teaching, like I'm. You know, I used to get so I've simmered down a little bit, but I used to get really excited, you know, when things are coming along and they're always like, well, okay, it's all right. It's not that great, you know, but I'd always come with that kind of like, yeah, it's so good, you know. Yeah. Like they're not so used to that enthusiasm, but I think also they appreciate it too because it is a contrast. Mm, um, yeah. That, I, you know, at times I've brought like a little bit of a different energy. So, yeah. yeah. And your your father's European. Is that do you think that's part of the affinity for you? Um, I mean, he's European descent. I mean, he was born and raised in Chicago, but my Oh. Yeah. That's very different. He's a Chicagoan. <laughs> he's a Chicagoan. <laughs> oh, I I had heard he was European. Forgive me. You mean he's a he's white. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, can yeah. totally misread that. All right. Yeah, like on his mother's side, my grandmother's side, it more English Irish. But his fa- his father, which was my grandfather, I never met him because he died before I was born. Was actually from. He spoke Czech. He was actually directly oh. from. But you know the borders changed because of uh, the war. Yeah, he spoke Czech, but he was more from a place I want to say, kind of closer to Serbia. Something yeah. like this. He tried to point it out to me. I'm I'm not quite sure the exact area, but um, yeah, mm. yeah. Amazing. Well, you said I I think you mentioned that you were born in in South Carolina. How did how did that happen between your parents? Yeah. So, like, because my mom is from Belize, Central America, and um, I, I like my dad was having. He had a short stint down there, and I'm trying to remember like why he was in South Carolina because he was he was from Chicago, um, but um, yeah, that's where my parents met, um, and yeah, which actually is not. I don't think they. I don't know. I have actually never gotten the full story there. I never really probed it too much, but I think from my understanding, it just wasn't going to be the best place for us, like as a family, because it just, the South was still, I mean, that was like, yeah, that's a a little bit. That's a problem. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So we moved to Illinois um, after my sister was born because my sister is only like 13 months younger than me. What part of Illinois? I grew up in a town called um, Edwardsville, which is 
it's more the southern part of uh-huh. Illinois, and it's not too far from St. Louis, actually. Like St. Louis oh, would be yeah. about forty minutes away, thirty minute drive away, something yeah, on like the that. west side. Yeah, okay. yeah. I was on more. I was on the the east side near Terre Haute and the um, the Wabash. So oh, you were yeah. there on the Mississippi side. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and what did your folks do? How did you end up in? I think Ohio. Did, were you raised? No, no, no. I was raised. I graduated from high school out of from Edwardsville High from Edwardsville. <gasps> You're from I, Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Russell's always so excited to meet someone else from Illinois. Oh man, most yeah. people don't even know how to say it right. <laughs> Illinois. I know. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What? So growing up in Illinois, that's fantastic. You're you're like tw- like ten minutes from Richard Freeman. You're like ethnically the same as him. What? <laughs> yeah, he's East. He's East St. Louis. That's him. What? Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, he's a cracker from East St. Louis. So, yeah, um, that's yeah. crazy because I mean, that's you know, when I was growing up, East St. Louis was just synonymous for just yeah, like a very. Yeah, a lot of crazy stuff happens. It's bad. Yeah, my yeah. my uncle is a welder in East St. Louis, and it's bad. Yeah. It's like, it's, I think he's actually incarcerated now. But um, <laughs> I, one of my many family members incarcerated in Illinois. Um, gosh, so we, your your dad, he's Chicagoan and Edwardsville. What's he doing there? Well, you know they. I think one reason why we ended up there is because there's a university there. So I, I do know that my, both my, my mother and my father were, were going to university, like, um, um, finishing like, like, um, upper level degrees, like master's degrees or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. When I was younger, um, no, actually my mom was, Finishing her, I think it, she was finishing her bachelor's and then she did her master's, something like this. So okay. they were going to university there, but you know, it was, it's like, it was a nice town to grow up in. I mean, it was, wasn't, wasn't too small, but it wasn't a big, a big, big town either. It was like a decent size and, um, you know, kind of conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Were they teaching at the university ultimately? What, what kind of? No, 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 no. Like my dad worked for the government um, for for quite some time, and then my my mother she worked actually for the Federal Reserve for a little bit. She worked for um, oh my god, that uh, airplane manufacturer. What is it called? Um, uh, McDonnell Douglas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she worked with them because she worked with computers. She was kind of a little bit like ahead of her time. Like she was into computers, like right when it was just kind of gaining some uh, some steam there. Wow. Yeah. Do you know why she left Belize? Basically for education. Okay, yeah. Because, you know, she, she it was a very, you know, she, it was... How do I explain it? It's it's almost like kind of like more third world existence, like how sure. she was raised. So um, her education stopped at about eighth grade. Mm-hmm. So she, you know, that was something that she was compelled, you know, to to increase her education. So that's why mm-hmm. she went to the U.S. 
That's incredible. Yeah. Did you have any any sense growing up, or maybe looking back at your at you as like a ten year old in Illinois, that oh yeah, that girl is going to become a a yogi. You can tell by the things that she's into. Were, were your parents? Did they have a bent towards any of this kind of metaphysical stuff? You know, meditation, or did, did they ever catch them chanting in their room alone? Well, both of my parents were definitely like spiritual seekers um, because they, you know, they were, it was kind of interesting. They were both raised um, as Catholics Mm -hmm. and they, of course, they, I mean, I shouldn't say of course, but they, you know, they departed that religion and they, so it's, it's, um, and they they met actually because they were part of a religion called which I don't really follow now, but they followed this religion called the Baha'i Faith. Mm. So oh. that's how they actually had met through that. Um, which it's really interesting because I mean I was definitely raised with it, where you know at a young age I was taught to respect like all religions and all races and cultures. It's like a big, it's a big. Um, teaching in that particular religion. So, yeah. Wow. I was yeah. taught how to avoid prison. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love I love the Baha'i faith actually. I I've always been kind of drawn to it and attracted to it just because of those um, you know, tenets of inclusivity and um equality and you know, it's it's just such a harmonious it has sort of a harmonious vision. Yeah. And I, I just, I feel so like appreciative that I've got, I got those teachings, you know, at a young age and, and, um, and to also think more globally than just, you, you know, the one thing that's interesting when I was raised, cause like when you're in school, they, they, you know, you're kind of taught this patriotism, which isn't necessarily totally bad, but I remember just being like, yeah, you know, USA is like the best in this and that. And my dad would always kind of tell me like, you know what, there's other things going on in the world. There's other things to be aware of. And mm-hmm. you, know, you can't always just, I just kind of appreciated that getting that reflection from him. Um, and again, like the respect of like just different, different faiths and religions and how it's, there's like a, a thread of truth going through all of these different, um, yeah, religious practices or whatnot, and to yeah. be able to respect it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's lovely. Are your parents still part of the Baha'i faith, or did they move away from that now? No, they are. They're both very actively wow. in it, and amazing. Yeah, and that's the thing I grew up with. Like, for instance, like my mother had a little bit of a different way, but like my my father definitely had his own sadhana. Like he would pray every single morning, like without wow. fail. So that was something that I kind of understood. Like you, ju- it just goes into your subconscious. Like you kind of see that. I mean, some people might see it as a discipline, but also it's just, it's something that was very important to him. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I remember when I was really young, I didn't always like it because it took time away from me. <laughs> Mm, yeah, of course. And like you're yeah. really young because yeah. you're doing it for like, you know, a half hour to 40 minutes or whatever. And to me, I'd be like, oh, I'm, you know, like, Come that's the time to go away from me, you know? But, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, but it makes an impression for sure to that like sacred space, right? Creating sacred space and sacred time and connecting to a deeper place in yourself. And even when you're a kid, even though you don't necessarily understand it, you really, um, it does kind of sink in. And, and as you grow up, maybe, you know, that also attracted you to this type of yoga practice where it's quite ritualistic in a sense. Yeah, I yeah, it's just so interesting how things kind of resonate with you. And, you know, even at, at a young age, I always had questions about God, you know, that sometimes would perplex my dad. I, my sister wasn't quite the same. I was more of like probing of like, and um, just curious about life and the unseen, not really understanding where the questions came from, but um, yeah. It was just something that was always hovering inside of me for whatever reason. So, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, you used a, a, f- a term of phrase that uh, I was delicious. I, I kind of feel compelled to take advantage of it. Um, use the word rah rah in your uh, reference to your feelings about America. <laughs> <laughs> And it seems like maybe you took that same attitude to school. I, I think um, you were quite a good cheerleader in high school, as I understand. And you were yeah. even offered like you were even offered scholarships around the country for that. Well, not well. Let's see. I, I cheered. I started cheerleading in junior high, and I did it in high school, and I also did in university. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did it for qu- almost twelve years. Wow. Um, but it was interesting. I kind of defaulted into it. I mean, I was, I, when I remember when I was, um, I think I was in seventh grade and then, you know, you only could be a cheerleader if you were in the eighth grade. And I remember seeing like a pep rally and I was like, Oh wow, look what they do. And, but it was funny. I actually wanted to play basketball (laughs) when I was young (laughs) and I was like, I was so short. Like I, cause, um, and it just wasn't realistic. I mean, I tried out and I, like, they didn't even like really look at me. I, I think I was cut like the first round. Um, <laughs> and it was kind of one of those activities that I could do um, because of my size. I was very underdeveloped. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not super like tall now, but I didn't really go have a growth spurt until like maybe 15 or something. And I was a bit of a late bloomer and um and then even it, now you're only what five five? Five two. Five, you're five two? two? You're the same height as me. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not basketball material. No. No, I just yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I used to love like shooting the ball into the hoop, you know, that was like my thing. But to, to like to, to do the court thing and like maneuver the court, no way. Like yeah. what's the good of that? Wow. So, yeah, so I ended up I started cheering and it was yeah, perfect for my size and yeah. And you're probably really light and and people could like throw you around easily. Yeah, that was kind of what I lived for. <laughs> <laughs> my taste of danger came into play. So. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, some people might not know, I mean, especially if they're um maybe like living in Europe listening or or other countries, but 
you know, and even in Canada, you know, for us, our, we don't have the same like cheerleading uh, culture that you have in America. Yeah. <laughs> like for us, we just have like the pom poms and like you see them at the football games, just like, you know, shaking their booties and like doing some <laughs> dance moves with pom poms. Right. Yeah. But, but in America, it's like a hardcore gymnastics type sport. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was like really emerging when I did it, but now when I see what they do, I'm just in awe. Like, yeah, like it was dangerous. Yeah. It's like on such an, like it's accelerated in the level. Um, I mean, we were doing some interesting things when I was, when I was cheering, but now I'm just like, wow, I can't even believe what, what these kids do. Um, yeah, it's, it's become such a thing, but it's, it's very Americana for sure. Yeah. <laughs> like the yeah. whole thing is very Americana. It's, I really loved you, you saying that, 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 that what drew you to it was the thrill, the danger being thrown, you know, 15 feet in the sky. And because that I was thinking about like, when I played sports, it was like the thrill was being able to hit someone and get away with it. It's like, <laughs> just, did you, did you, it was just, it was so, it was really the, what I lived for. And when you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, that feeling is why I woke up in the morning. So I could go and I could hit someone as hard as I could. Or, <laughs> you know, you saying that you you lived the thrill being thrown up into the air. I was like, that's fantastic. Can can you tell me what a I looked you up on the Ohio State website and found your alumnus page. What's a Brutus? Oh, well, Brutus is the mascot. And the the Ohio State, um, yeah, it were it's the Buckeyes, of course, but Brutus yeah. is kind of the mascot. So he has his head as a Buckeye, <laughs> right? He's got this big Buckeye on his head, and then of course he has like kind of like kind of like a football garb um, in the body, of course, and that's yeah. Brutus. Yeah. Oh, I thought maybe it was like the guy that throws you or like that's the role <laughs> in cheerleading. You want to have, we want to have a good Brutus on the team. I couldn't figure it out. No, Brutus, okay. He's like a figurehead of like, yeah, all the, the sports um, games and, you know, just raising that school spirit. And yeah, you know, like there's always like a mascot at these college games. And yeah. Yeah. Do you still have a distaste for Michigan the way that you did then? Oh, you will always, <laughs> always have distaste for Michigan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was born there. And so I was wondering, like, why anyone would live in a less desirable state than Michigan. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that rivalry is just, I, when I was at Ohio State, it was just so much fun. You know, it was, it's a little bit over dramatic, of course, but yeah, you know, mm. it made things interesting. So. When when you were in school, um, university, I learned that you you studied human ecology mm-hmm. as well as as business. Um, I think uh, fashion merchandising. Yeah, so it was in the school of human ecology. So my my major was fashion merchandising, but it's interesting how they do them like kind of like the degree. So yeah, yeah, under the school or the college of human ecology, uh, the major fashion merchandising. Oh, what, okay. is, what does okay. that mean? Yeah, I didn't even know what human ecology means. I don't know what that means. Yeah, like, you know, I, I don't know. It, to me, it feels like they had to stick fashion merchandising anywhere. I don't think <laughs> right. in a good place. 
because it is, it's a little bit, it's kind of that marriage of the, the business of fashion, like, and how it, it, um, um, cause it was a blend of, uh, learning about fashion, but also a blend of the business and the merchandising, um, buying, um, how it works within a business, um, wow. business side of fashion. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Cause I, 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 it, it lit up for me on your, on your page when I saw that I said, Oh, that's maybe that's why she's so excellent at the Instagram. Because <laughs> it's, I mean, it is really polished, really highly skilled, and it's something that we all aspire to, you know. And with my 500 followers, I'm trying to get them somewhere that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, so you, yeah. She maybe has, a, you have an eye for it. <laughs> well, I, you know, it would. I actually was a very early adopter of Instagram, which is interesting. I think I was on it quite early, but I do appreciate the creative process. There's something about design, about bringing an aesthetic to something, um, whether that's in a home, whether that's in dressing. And it's, to me, it's not really, it's nothing to like, to show it's something I really appreciate. I really just, I love even just, I love anything well designed. Mm-hmm. There's like a sense of mindfulness to it. There's a sense that someone took a little like craftsmanship. There's something about craftsmanship and about putting a little extra beauty into your space that I think is, and of course it's subjective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really appreciate that. And I was always drawn to art and like creativity and, um, design. I thought when I was young, I'd be a fashion designer actually, but things kind of changed of course from, from that, because when I I did delve into the fashion industry, but it was quite, I was too sensitive at the time. It's very cutthroat. People can be quite direct, a little bit nasty. And I, I think at that time I needed a thicker skin. I think I could have, maybe now I could have done it if I were like younger, but, um, I just was too sensitive at that time. It was something that I felt, oh, this is a little bit of an ugly business. So I, I stepped away. But I still appreciate fashion very much when it comes to the creative end. Yeah, there's an artistry to it. And like you're saying, an artistry to how you design your environment and mm-hmm. and all the things around you, even like, you know, food. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. You must be a Virgo. Yes, I am. How'd you know? <laughs> oh, good job. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Nice one. I'm a Virgo moon, and that's why our pillows are the way they are. Yeah. Cause <laughs> but you know, I'm a Virgo, but I'm also, my rising and descendant are Libra. Ah. So, like so much with, I have so much Libra energy too. Like yeah, the my, balancing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what allows you to have that big, big world vision and to hold multiple perspectives at one time. Yeah, it's something. Yeah, I couldn't imagine thinking any other way. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. kind of like wired. Wired. Yeah. yeah. I also have a Libra ascendant. So. Mm, <laughs> nice. I'd, I'd like to really step away from that part of the conversation. <laughs> um, it must have been difficult for you, though. I, I would imagine because the fashion world is is very cutthroat. Um, shortly after that, you you worked at Pfizer for a number of years as yeah. a 
in in sales and yeah. in marketing, as I understand. Mm-hmm. And I'd have to think. I I find it I find sales really difficult. You know, I've worked for my mom off and on my whole life in sales and it's I find I'm also really sensitive and it's it's difficult for me to to sometimes do that kind of work and I wonder if if that was a struggle for you as well. Um I think the doing the sales itself wasn't so difficult because sometimes I kind of, I know how to step into a role, Mm -hmm. you know, like, um, but the corporate culture, I don't felt like I I didn't feel that I fit into that corporate culture uh, where I don't know. It was in that type of industry and business. Like it just, it was better to speak than to listen. You really had to elbow your way forward. I just never liked that type of game, you know, like, um, that's where I didn't in the culture of the, of the, the industry, I didn't really thrive, but I feel like when I was on my own, just talking one-to-one with like, cause my customers then were doctors. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I felt comfortable with that, but the culture, I didn't always feel so comfortable with like, kind of like, uh, the, I don't want to say politics, but this whole kind of, yeah, like elbowing your way to the top for a promotion, getting, you know, sticking your neck out just to be, just to speak, to be, because when we would have these big plan of action meetings, like if you sat back and observed, that wasn't looked at as a positive trait, which that, that's how I ran naturally. I like to kind of take things in first before I speak, but it wasn't looked at as a positive thing in that at that time when I was in that, uh, yeah, work setting. Yeah. I think, yeah, maybe emotional intelligence wasn't highly appreciated. <laughs> no, it wasn't actually. No, it wasn't at all. It was, I, I mean, I worked with some cool people, but it was, um, yeah. An aggressive they, was, kind of energy you need. Yeah. They liked hard drivers, hard drivers, like, um, that was lo- looked at as more positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you started practicing yoga somewhere along this trajectory. When did you start doing that? What what made you think I should go try this yoga thing out? Oh, that happened like like much before that. Like I was I mean, I was at, dabbling in yoga around 18. Mm-hmm. Um and then when I um when I found Ashtanga, that was like around 20. Mm-hmm. So, um, how'd you find it? Well, if you know, I really was starting to get into a spirituality and just delving into that, like around in high school a little bit yeah. because, and I told this story cause I taught this workshop recently where it was funny because, um, in my, during my teenage years, because again, my sister, where she's only like a year younger than me, and she was kind of going through like a funky period. And I remember my mom bought her this uh, book by Wayne Dyer, The Erroneous Zones. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. It was like, you need to read this. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it was funny, like my sister wasn't interested in it, but I was. And I, that's when I started reading some of his stuff. Yeah. And because I was quite curious, I was just curious about life and like the deeper meaning to life. And in a, at the same time being like a normal, you know, teenager or whatever, but 
that kind of spurred my curiosity into other types of like just spiritual thought. And I started to also learn a little bit about yoga through that um, kind of research. Mm -hmm. And so I, I came across yoga more as just a theory, not a practice at first. And so when I read about yoga, it, I don't know why it was like, I mean, if it's true that you've done it in a past life, if you didn't do it in this life, it was just, I don't know if that's true, but I, there was just like a strong resonance to it. Um, just hearing the name, just, just reading a little bit about it. So um, that's what kind of struck me um, into delving into yoga later, because I did understand that there were asanas and there was like kind of these you know, these weird shapes people made. Right. It was like a concept for me at first. And then um, later when I was, um, I also understood there was like a healing component to it, but I had some like back issues from cheerleading actually. And uh, something kind of struck inside of me like, oh, like when other things weren't working, I was like, maybe I should try a bit of yoga. Maybe that will help my back. And it really actually helped more than it was like magic actually um can you describe the back issue now yeah it was low back it was uh -huh. and i think too what was interesting when i look back on it it was definitely a physical pain because i was i had this it was something also i think in the sciatic because it would start to go down my leg right like, yeah um but i also feel like the way that it kind of totally turned off i also feel like there was like a mental emotional component to it at that time of course because it, when i was you know i was doing like cuz at that time i had these videos i was doing like like a really short um or a simple practice by patricia walden like she had oh, this yeah, video yeah. and like i there was something by rodney yee and yeah. kind of holding yeah, the pictures long and those videos were really popular like in every grocery store whole foods those those were yeah. the two yeah yeah exactly um and it was so, it was to me, it was like magic because that was like the one thing that released what I was feeling in my back. And that really struck me from that moment forward. It just ignited that curiosity to learn more. Wow. So, yeah. That's incredible. So, you were practicing just kind of on your own, in your own little zone, watching the videos, kind of reading, doing some research. What spurred you to like try a class? And what was the first class you tried? Yeah. So, and I think that's also what's interesting because I know that there's some, you know, there's been different schools of thought that look at like videos and things as negative, but that was actually my start to practice. But I knew inherently that I needed to find a real teacher, of course, because it's, that is going to be such an integral part of your growth. And, um, so in the, in my, um, student newspaper, I can, it was, well, this is so funny because there was an it's yoga that opened up in Columbus and it was $90 for 90 days. And I was like, nice. I was on that like, <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't believe. And it was so funny cause I did this 90, dollars um, for 90 days. And I went every single day. I think she thought I was a little bit crazy, the, <laughs> um, but that really spurred, I just was so enthusiastic when I actually took a class because I was like, this is on a whole other level when you're actually in a class versus kind of yeah. bumping around on your own. So that's so amazing. That must have been like a really popular selling um, like hook in the like 
you know, mid to late 90s, because that's also how I went to my first class was $90 for 90 days. Yeah. 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 And I was the same. I was like, I'm going to get my money's worth. I'm going every day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That was incredible. That was such a great deal. Yeah. It's definitely hooked a lot of us, I think. (laughs) Yeah. But at at a certain point, this became really powerful for you, and you decided to leave Pfizer and leave this kind of culture and go into to teaching yoga. I mean, that that's a really hard decision to make. Actually, it wasn't that hard because it was interesting at the time. I'd already been teaching a little bit. So, um, you know, some of the students in town, they kind of, they saw like it, it they saw like my dedication and my enthusiasm for the practice. So I was, I remember I picked up one class, like I was teaching on a Saturday. So I'd of course be working Monday through Friday. And then I picked up another class on a Sunday. So it was almost kind of like working, like doing some type of work every day. Yeah. But at that time, um, the company had, I don't know if I should go into this, but they, they made a a certain uh, drug that uh, wasn't having good effects (laughs) on people Mm-hmm. Oh and, yeah, um, which was a big hit to the company. I mean, of course, they always bounce back because they have such a you know um, they have quite a bit of um, wealth anyway. But it at that time they were they were they they were saying that they were going to cut twenty percent of the sales force, and a lot of people were quite worried. But I was like, I was actually hoping that it would be me. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you got in front. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I'll be yeah, in the yeah. front of the line. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, they are gen- like, when when they cut you, they are quite generous because you get a severance package, and they did offer to like give you quite a bit of money to work with a headhunter to find another job of a similar. Um, with the sim- like similar skills. And I just, I just dropped that. Like I just took my severance. I was like, no, I'm not going to look to go into the same industry. And um, yeah, I was, I was happy to leave. I knew that it wasn't something that I saw myself doing long-term because at one point I was looking at, you know, a lot of the executives at certain, some of these, you know, huge like product launches and things, I looked at some of the executives and I just did not want to be, they, I, I didn't see myself following their lead. I didn't look at them as, as um, a role model yeah. <laughs> personally. So I was like, well, I just kind of was like, why am I here? This is not for me, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what did you do with your severance? That's when I made my first trip to, to India. Amazing. Wow. I didn't even, like, I didn't even hesitate. I was like, this is where I'm going. Wow. Yeah. 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 That's so often that's what happens with people in our situation is that we got a a little pool of money and we said, fuck it, I'm going to blow it on India. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Which, you know, you know, somebody else might be like, okay, I'm going to put it away and I'm going to. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. I'm going to do, I'm continue this 90 day, 90, 90, $90 yoga class. I'm going to keep this on the side. Yeah. Maybe buy a house. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, yeah, I just knew that if I didn't go, I would never go. And it felt so right. Like, and it was, it ultimately was, even though I went through some times of uncertainty, just like with financial security after that, but it just opened up a, you know, 
I, I think everyone can agree to that. Like it, it just opens so many doors that like you just, it just forces you to think differently, think a different way to lead your life. And mm-hmm. uh, to me, it felt so freeing to step out of convention because like I, it just didn't always sit well with me. Like, and it's interesting because like my, my name means dawn and my sister is evening and we're like night and day. Like she steps into that convention so easily. I'm always fighting it. Like it just never feels right, you know? So we're like night and day. And I, I had to, yeah, I just had to lead my life in the way that felt good at the time. And it, 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 like I, no regrets, you know, Mm-hmm. At all. So, I, I want to ask: in in what language is does Laruga mean mean dawn? So it literally means dawn of a new day, mm-hmm. and um, so in my mom's language, like she, it's an indigenous language that's unwritten. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I mean, she of course like Belize was colonized by Britain, so she of course learned. English. She knew Spanish. She spoke Spanish, but also had her indigenous language, which with her family members and in her community, she spoke, but not, it's not a written language. It's something more just spoken. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, I wanted to ask that before I asked the, the follow-up question about Mysore. Um, you, you, you said you had no regrets and and that about making that decision and it opened up all these other opportunities just i think like it it does for people who go to mysore mm. i wanted to ask you a question about maybe some of the things that you you didn't like about mysore that maybe you were frustrated with Did, and if you encountered it there on the first trip i think i think you used the word um if you forgive me uh microaggressions and I, I just wanted to know if if you'd be willing to talk about those at all, about what you might have encountered. Oh, God. I mean, I don't even know where to begin with that because it's, you know, after so many trips, it's like you kind of go through your own cycles of, of going there. And, and um, I always feel like every trip has a different theme too like it's just like there's a different lesson that kind of shows up whether you want it or not <laughs> kind of, mm-hmm. it's kind yeah. of there yeah um, i always felt like that too <laughs> yeah and but you know i think um i feel really happy that i went a little bit later like i already had it like 10 years under my belt of practice so it was um I guess I thought I had these romantic illusions about what it would be like. I mean, I thought at first like people might've been a little bit friendlier (laughs) and that really wasn't always, always the case, which of course, you know, just because I'm there doesn't mean everyone needs to be my friend either. I mean, you kind of learn that too. It's like, um, but, uh, yeah, I just never, but I've never been like this, actually. I've, even when I was younger, I just was never into kind of like that clicky type of energy or like trying to act like, well, I'm in this exclusive group and you're not. Like, I, I just have never really ran that way personally, um, going to Mysore, even outside of Mysore. Um, I've always appreciated having like just different 
eclectic groups of friends, like people who even think differently politically than me or have a different lifestyle or whatnot. And I appreciate the contrast. And, um, but I think that part was kind of surprising at times. And, um, but then again, you also start to learn like everyone is on their own journey. They're going through their own things, you know, and, you know, it's not about you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but I, I also feel like um, I, I've just always made a point every time I go, like I'm always open to new people and just you know, like, right. or trying to be friendly to people who feel a little bit lost and intimidated there. Mm-hmm. So I've tried to kind of like, remember what it was like my first time. I mean, sometimes you, you're wrapped up in your own things when you're there, but I try to always remember that and to, you know, in my own way, not come off in the way that sometimes I felt like going into it, like, cause I went totally by myself and no one where I was in Columbus was promoting for me to go. Like no one was saying, Oh, you should go to Mysore. It was something that was really through my own motivation. So, um, I really went in so blind, you know, like not knowing what to expect. Mm-hmm. When I was in Taiwan, Nancy, you, who people from our generation probably, you know, know really well. Some people may not that she was kind of a personal assistant to Sharat as maybe Mm -hmm. the best way to describe her at a certain point. Fantastic practice from, and family was indigenous Taiwanese. Um, She used to call me bitterly about people and, and how they treated her in, Mm -hmm. in Mysore and complain about these yogis and their hypocrisy. And I see, you know, Nancy, they're yoga students. And it, you just said something that was really interesting. I thought that like that, yeah, they're on their, they're on their learning journey and they're in different stages of development and mm-hmm. they can be pretty shitty along the way. Yeah. And I think that's, you have to kind of give space for people for that. Like, I think too, when you come in with expectations, you're just, you are going to be disappointed. Yeah, you know, like you can have expectations on how you know other people should act or what the experience there should be like, and um, and I think too, like we all go through funky. If you go there enough, you are definitely going to have stuff come up. Yeah, you know, (laughs) when you start to realize that, then you can't really take it personal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I try to, when I'm going through my things, I try not to let people get in the way, <laughs> you know, like, I don't like shoot arrows into them, but, um, but it, yeah, it can be difficult at times. So. Yeah. Yeah. The practice can really bring like lots of things up to the surface and you're not always aware of, of your own energy or, you know, how, how you're coming across because you're really like raw and in it, you know, or yeah. having to deal with the, your own shit basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it always runs a bit deeper there because even if you think you're going to take it easy, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, I'm going to take it easy today. Somehow like the energy kind of takes over and yeah. 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 It carries, carries you deeper into it. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you find the culture like Indian culture, uh, like not I mean, I guess just like different or like shocking or was it 
really, yeah, interesting and exciting for you. Yeah, I just really appreciated the contrast, you know, like, and I remember when I dropped down, because when I uh, dropped down into Bangalore and, you know, it was that older airport, which yep. I was, when I walked in there, I was like, whoa, like, I'm, <laughs> it's, it's different, you know, like with that one like baggage belt that was barely yeah. moving, you know. <laughs> yeah, they had two baggage belts in the whole airport and one was always broken. Yeah. yeah. So I, at first I was like, okay, there's no turning back now. You know? <laughs> I'm here. Um, and then I remember already being cheated when, as soon as I went out because somebody, I know you're not supposed to, but somebody had given me some cash, like some rupees, like, cause I knew a, a fellow in Columbus who was Indian. So he said, Oh, just take some of these rupees. And, um, like he gave me a few 500s and I remember like somebody took my bags and then I was like taking some money out to tip him. He said, oh yeah, I'll take that 500. I didn't even know how much things were worth. <gasps> oh my God. So yeah, I was totally. Oh man. Yeah. Right off the turnip truck. I was so naive. And then, but I did somehow find like the cab that I secured and like, and then the thing that was so wild was I was right into that Bangalore traffic as soon as we left the airport. And I was just looking out the window, like, wow, I've never seen anything like this in my life. It was just, and then of course I had this, you know, major jet lag going, but it was just (laughs) so crazy. Like, and it's probably a good thing I had jet lag because I think I would have freaked out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're you know. just too tired and you're looking out the window and you're just stoned. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I don't know. Oh, it's this. It's a cow. Stoned is a word. Like, I was so out of it, like, just thinking, okay, like, this is another reality. But yeah, yeah. super interesting. Saying a little prayer. I hope, I hope he actually takes me to Mysore. <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It was, and yeah, it was like, it was just funny that first trip because it was one of those. I forget the name of those old cars, like oh, the ambassadors. Yeah, like it was like kind of that old car, the old white, big white oh, ones man. that can't like go over forty kilometers an hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh god, yeah. I, I think one of the things that I that I feel like I've I've tried to learn and is and really hope to learn in India and in the work that we do is this kind of this um, something maybe people would call transpersonal notion where it's, it's not about you. It's, it's, this is happening for everybody because mm. so much of the time when I'm so much of the time everywhere, I'm filtering my experience as a um, white male, um, middle-class working class parents and and I perceive things through that filter, and I wonder: Is this about me being a, a you know, a white guy in the situation, or is this just something that's happening to everyone? And then, you know, my interactions in Mysore often feel like I have to try and figure that out. Like, is this what's actually happening here? Is this about me and um, about uh, maybe? privilege or am I being abused for privilege? You know, what's going on? Do you, do you feel like um, you could see that, that separation 
in Mysore that there were times where you're like, this is happening because I'm a, a woman of color. This is just happening to everybody. Um, I mean, I've definitely had my experiences. I don't know if I've really felt it in Mysore. I think I felt it more being in the industry, like in the States, sometimes also in Sweden. Mm. Um, wow. But the thing you do notice, you don't see so many, like, you don't see, like, of course, you know, you're in India and then you, you don't see so many like black people going to, to Mysore and you don't see so many people, like, there's not a lot of diversity. I think that's changed as the year has gone on. Like it was different when I was first going to like now when you, you go there, Mm -hmm. um, but one thing I, I mean, I did notice is like it wasn't easy for me to go because the prior trips, I remember it would take me all year to save up. To right. Go. Yeah. Where it was so easy for others. It was like, um, I was really, yeah, I had to put money aside every time I got paid, just thinking about like going to Mysore where you, and I'm not trying to fault people that it was easy for them, but it's it comes from a different context. Like there's a different meaning behind it when it's hard versus when it's easy. Um, and so I'm not trying to prop myself up as, you know, being more special or anything like that, but you just kind of notice a bit of a difference because I wasn't there to escape. I wasn't there to escape from like that. I didn't like my life at home or that I just wanted to hang out. It was, I really wanted to learn. I wanted to learn. I wanted to develop in the practice. I wanted to deepen the practice. I wanted to expand and grow. I wanted to be challenged. I wanted to know more about the methodology to learn more. And it was so important to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't really resonate with those that kind of wanted to hang out. You know, it's, it's different when you're, your alimony pays for your trips to Mysore. Yeah. Trust fund. <laughs> yeah, that's like, yeah, yeah. That's different. It's different. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what I noticed. I totally resonate with that. I mean, just saving every dime. Dime and then coming home like just dirt poor and living in my parents' basement over and over and over, over again. And over and over again. <laughs> to yeah. try and like get on my feet. Yeah. And even being like an adult with a child living in my parents' basement. You know? We did it. Like... We did that again recently. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's, you know, it's, yeah. yeah, it's tough. But it's crazy that it just pulls you there. Yeah. Even yeah. with all of that, like, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And people don't really get it, you know, like people, like outside of it, they, or even, you know, sometimes I, I feel like that with my family, like, it's kind of like, they don't really understand that pull and why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a bit I, mysterious. I, I caught myself doing it this week. I was in the bath. <laughs> I was in the shower. Yeah. I thought, oh yeah, it'd be nice to go to Mysore. It's like, whoa, <laughs> where did that come from? What am I going? I'm going to go there. I'm going to spend, you know, ten thousand dollars, and I'm going to like crawl through Surya Namaskar. <laughs> <laughs> like what? What am I? We like punishment. A little bit of punishment. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, it's just, you know, it's. Is your practice is it is it on the ascendancy still? Is it still improving? Are you are you are you noticing like like me that you can't get out of bed anymore? <laughs> I mean, I don't. I mean, I I still get up pretty early, but I don't get up as early as I did before. No way, I'll never do that again. Like, yeah. I don't think it was that healthy to be getting up 
like a little bit before three. Uh, no way. I don't I'll think never it do is. That again. I wouldn't recommend it actually. I mean, you know, people can do whatever they feel is right for them and their lifestyle, of course. But I did it for a time. But now when I reflect back on it, I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know if I needed to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did. Are you, are, are you crushing it you, in your practice? That's what I mean. I mean, the thing that I've noticed is change. I think my practice is a little, it's slower. Like there's something like my breath has gone a little bit like deeper and it's almost like, it almost feels odd to, to go like, I'm not, not that my practice was super fast, but there's something that's shifted where I tend to move a bit slower um, in the practice and um, I'm just going with it, you know, like, and I do, I do see there's more vacillation between like sometimes the energy and the power that you feel. Um, but the good thing is, is that what comes with it is like, is a sense of like maturity, you know, and like, okay, let me, let me go with this feeling. Like, let me, I'm not, I don't have to like, um, power through, strongly, you know, I can just, I can go slow and there's nothing wrong with that. And I can feel it out if I need to. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, that's kind of where I am. I mean, I, yeah, I, I see that kind of developing and it kind of like happened on its own and, um, yeah, that's kind of, it's nice to be able to cultivate like a little bit of that curiosity again and freedom to explore yeah. your own, you know, energy, your own body, things coming up with time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think too, just not fighting it, you know, like just letting, letting it flow and like, and, um, because I, I do like to to me, I feel like maybe ten years ago was more like you know every day it's like boom, boom, boom. But now there's like more of a you might feel a little bit of a high one day, but you might really feel this more lull the next day. Mm-hmm. And I don't really try to fight that. I just kind of feel it out and like let those vacillations of energy play out in the way that they need to, because it, it is a it is long term. I'm trying to think long term, not like. And also not being too invested in what I did, you know, five years ago or even yesterday, you know, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Yeah. I hear a lot of, I've heard a lot of professional athletes talk about that, that the aging process isn't so much not being able to do the thing Mm. is that the next day, and then it may be two days, not being able to do the thing again. Mm. Like uh, John, uh, John Elway would say, I can still throw a ball 50 yards. I just can't do it tomorrow. Mm. And I, I did. I started noticing that in my my mid-30s that this I would get a lull day. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what the fuck is this? And I would like take <laughs> ice baths and I would you know, take Chinese medicine and get inflammation out of my body and do everything that I could. And now in my mid-40s, um, the lull day is every day. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and then there's like one day a month is like, oh, this feels good. <laughs> wow. You know, but it's, it's a, the ratio is completely flipped. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is interesting, but I, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I still feel excited to practice and like, I love movement, you know, and, 
but um yeah i don't feel dissatisfied that things change though i, I mean but that could mm. change tomorrow like i'm not <laughs> you could get frustrated <laughs> tomorrow know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, are you still waking up early and practicing before you teach because you've been one of the very few teachers i think maybe sweden's one of the few countries that hasn't uh, had to stop having in-person classes, right? They should have. <laughs> yeah, we yeah we still have our our Meister. No, none of the yoga studios were forced to close. Yeah, yeah. So, so you could uh, continue just teaching through this past year, where yeah. you didn't have to go online with everything. No, so but the thing is, is now because before I was traveling so much, like David, he he covers like we do our lead class on Sunday, so. <clears throat> He teaches that he does Mysore, <clears throat> sorry, Monday, Tuesday, and then I will teach Mysore Wednesday, Thursday, and then one of our um, really good teachers she assists us as well. She'll cover Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll I, I will practice with David on Monday and Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, oh, Thursday, wow. when I teach, I will teach first, and then I will practice because we'll do a shift. Then I'll practice with the group for the second shift. Oh, nice. nice. That could be really uh, self. It could be very, I would always feel a little self-conscious with my students. Like I really kind of felt like they were always watching really closely. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know, do you notice that or is it, it's okay for you? Yeah, it's totally okay because I, I practice with the group. Yeah. Both Monday and Tuesday and also the rest of the week, but more in the slower shift. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know, like in Sweden, yeah, there could be a chance people see things, but there's, they're also quite, there's just something about Swedish culture too, that they, they never make it obvious. They're not, they don't just stop and look and like, you know, they're quite, there's just, there's kind of like that respect, like mm-hmm. kind of, um, but I like our group a lot. I like the energy that we've somehow been able to, to create so I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed this time to to just kind of practice with our group and then also to be here more often and teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is something that I really, you know, we're just coming up on 10 years of this program. And like, there's just something beautiful about really have seen the evolution of, of the practitioners over the years through the long term. That is so rewarding. So you know, I love working with new people, but there's just something really beautiful about that unfoldment of, you know, some students have been with us from the beginning. So yeah, that's amazing. It's so it's, it's deep, right? It's a different type of yoga practice that is beyond just the physical teaching that happens. Yeah. And I, it's just, yeah, it's such a beautiful thing. I mean, there's just something about teaching Mysore that I just love, you know, and, um, and, and it just, it's the testament of the beauty of the practice and how powerful it is when you just see it unfold in the students. So it's just, I, it, it like, it continues to amaze me and, and just facilitating that space is like such a privilege. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just really enjoy it. I mean, granted it takes lots of energy, but it's come to a point now where I feel that the energy is very sustainable it sustains me in a different way than when you're kind of first starting a program. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like the students carry the energy 
so much more strongly. And it's like, it's not only like, you know, me and David carrying it. So it's been really, yeah, it's been great just to kind of be able to stick around more this past year. Yeah. And it's also so helpful. I mean, I think that's a lot of people are really missing uh, having like a community and a group like in people to practice Mm -hmm. with because that energy of having others around you when you're practicing is very motivating and it can help lift you when you're feeling those lulls and feeling like, oh, I just don't have it in me today. Yeah. Yeah. It's super important. And I mean, I know just talking to many practitioners around the world, they're really missing it. So once they can go back to their shalas, they're just going to be so happy. <laughs> so yeah. never take it for granted ever again, you know? So yeah, exactly. I, uh, I wanted to ask you, this is a little, little bit of a shift. Um, but I wanted to ask you if you knew this album, uh, oh. by John Coltrane, which is, uh, live in Stockholm from 1963. You'd ever heard no. of it. No. Am I it's, missing out on something? You might, yeah, I don't, you might be. It's, it's, it is one of my favorite albums um he does this song and i think everyone probably knows coltrane from his uh rendition of my favorite things uh from the sound of music and i you know I, i listened to that song obsessively when i was 18 19 in school i just always had it on in my room and then i found this cut and like it was in it was like whoa this is a little this is a little different it's an it's an incredibly angry and hostile take um, of my favorite things and and it seems to be that in in this particular album he really gets at the heart of what that movie is about you know which is maintaining I I'm gonna put this out there I think it's 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 about maintaining poise while your world shatters around you, you know, whether it's from Nazis or white supremacists, you still maintain some poise, but there's like in his solo, he goes so raw and so frightening. And it sounds like elephants dying. Hmm. And I, I wondered so many of those guys in the fifties and six, especially the fifties, you know, they would go to Europe, they'd go to Stockholm, they'd go to France and their whole world would be different. And I feel like they were just so much more at ease and so much more comfortable there. You know, like as Miles put it, you just you just didn't get the same old bullshit that you got back home with, you know, white supremacists. Mm. And I, I just want to know if that if that resonated with you at all. But in regards to feeling a sense of relief being in Europe as opposed to, um, you know, our racist country. <laughs> well, um, well, you know, it's interesting because like the, the United States is known as a melting pot, you know, yeah. there is a lot of diversity and lots of different cultures and, but it, it, the one thing that I noticed is a little different is like, for some reason, like in the U S the people always, I don't know how to put it. Like somehow it's always kind of brought up like your difference, mm. you know, like your, um, 
I noticed that too. There's a labeling, a tendency to label everything. Like I'm Dutch Irish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the perfect word for it, actually, the labeling, because I don't really get it so much here in Europe. Like mm-hmm. for some reason. And of course, you know, racism is prevalent everywhere, but on some level, whether you know, even when I've been in East Asia, I didn't realize that there were different forms of within their culture there um, when it comes to racist tendencies. But Oof, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but I just, it's interesting. I, you know, I don't, it doesn't get pointed out as much like living in Europe for some reason or even in Sweden. I don't know. It's, it's something in the U.S. that just maybe be, it's, it's more raw in, in people there or it's, I, but it's always kind of brought up in a way it's always pointed out somehow. Um, yeah. The, I wonder even if that, that kind of cuts to the core of, of maybe some anxiety I had about interviewing you is, mm. is, am I, is if I bring it up, is I, am I only bringing it up because you're a person of color and I wouldn't even, think about it if 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 that wasn't in the mix but i i'm kind of a, i'm a type of person that nothing's off the table i i i, I can i mean we can talk about anything mm-hmm. you know like i i really don't feel like yeah i mean i can talk about diversity and racism i can talk about other things too i'm just i'm i you know i don't um yeah, nothing's really off the table for me, really. And I, I like communicating different schools of thought. And I, I like, I also like challenging conversations. I think, you know, as long as we keep a, res- a nice respect level, I think, I think a lot of times in the, in this day and age, people don't really know how to debate and they don't really know how to discuss challenging issues and topics. It doesn't have to be an argument. We can still have a, a level of respect and decorum and we can talk about challenging things. But I feel like that skill set is a bit lost nowadays. People are more into sensationalism and sound bites. They don't always want to dig deeper. They don't really want to have their own thought patterns like or belief systems challenged. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like to have my belief system challenged and I like to to, you know, lots of things this past year have shifted for me just by digging in a little bit deeper. And, um, and I think too, we've just lost that skill set to just really communicate. Like nowadays people are just too afraid to even ask, you know, what they're feeling on this or that. And, um, but I understand why people might be intimidated to ask certain things, but for me, it, it, if someone wants to ask me about it or, I, I like to keep it open, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think that's an excellent point that, you know, we've kind of gone to these extremes so much and, and people have lost the ability to, and even maybe the courage a little bit to open themselves up to connect with a different point of view or to, you know, ask questions because they feel like, um, you know, they don't, nobody wants to offend anyone. Also, nobody wants to create, you know, conflict. So rather than necessarily like talking to someone about something that could create conflict mm-hmm. or might be offensive, yeah. um, we just stop talking. <laughs> or we say, oh, I love your hair. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't think it helps us to mature and grow. No, mm-hmm. no. That's at all. And that's something that I, I find really interesting is, is not confronting it. It just creates more of a distance, mm-hmm. you know, not leaning into something that might be a bit uncomfortable. Um, so, and I, I understand why it's a scary topic because it gets so heated, but I think too, that's why we have to learn the skill set to, to, to remain calm within ourselves as we talk about things that, um, possibly we might disagree on, but we have to kind of look at each other as human beings and that, that, you know, um, and keep a respect. I think yeah. that's just so important. And I've had, you know, I've had people like I used to be, you know, have certain belief systems and I've had friends that like, you know, have thought the opposite and it wasn't maybe brought up, but then I kind of have thought like, I don't need to disregard this person because they think differently than me politically, or they, they have a different viewpoint than me. Um, we got along just fine before, you know, maybe discussing mm-hmm. some of these things, but this, this modern kind of cancel kind of culture thing, I find it very disturbing. Um, yeah. that sometimes you can leave certain situations and be just agree to disagree and of course, there's certain core values like, you know, compassion and kindness and nonviolence that are important to keep like a society running healthily. But I think there's other kind of ancillary things that people get stuck on um, that just cause unnecessary division. So, yeah, um, it, I've, it's been um, it's interesting. I, I remember when um, when George W. Bush was was elected, I remember being floored and shocked it was unimaginable to me. I didn't, I didn't see how that was going to happen because I didn't know a single person who voted Republican. Mm. I didn't, I didn't, there was no one in my bubble of thought and bubble of, of culture and values that was um, that different. Yeah. Politically speaking, everybody was, you know, celebrating diversity, you know, but uh, nobody was celebrating, um, you know, um, no taxation for oil. Yeah. Uh, and so, <laughs> and so I'm, the last couple of years I'm in Alberta and of course in Alberta, I'm completely out of my liberal bubble of say San Francisco or Austin, Texas. And it's, uh, or, or the East village. And, uh, it's, it's really, um, difficult at times, um, being, like right up against Trumpism or, mm. or, you know, these very different values and trying to have a conversation with someone who to me sounds like a Sean Hannity, you know, talking, you know, a talking head sock puppet <laughs> yeah. and, and feeling like if I have a conversation, then the other side becomes hysterical and angry mm. and, and like, I, I can't even, I can't have a uh, relaxed uh, uh, conversation that's poised because the other makes the other person angry. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 this is a very difficult time for that. And you're absolutely right. That is what needs to happen. But like everyone, um, I've just kind of learned. I don't. 
you kind of have to, the thing that I've also learned is, is some, there's, there's also certain factions, media outlets that are fanning the flames mm-hmm. of these. And I just won't, I won't be manipulated. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I'm not going to be manipulated by the narrative, the story and different agendas that come out of certain outlets. Um, and, and I think that flan, fan, again, it fans the flames of, of further division. I think that's, I think there's something to that. Um, there is something to divide and conquer. People are more controlled, the more, more divided that they are. And I sometimes yeah. wonder why that is being pushed so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had it like years ago when you're talking about George W. Bush, I remember I had a coworker and we just got along so well. We just, we, you know, I, I was in my twenties. We were just, we would talk about our, like our hopes and our dreams. And she was like kind of the opposite of me. She was very, she came from a more wealthy family. She was beautiful, like blonde, blue eyed girl. And we just, for some reason, we just totally clicked. And I remember the election was near and, and I just assumed that she was voting for, I think it was John Kerry at the time. And I was like, right. yeah, well, you know, I'm going to like, and she was like, what? I'm voting for Bush, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we. This like, has been God, going great. I was like, what? <laughs> but I just assumed, you know, and then yeah. I was laughing like, oh my God, why are you assuming? Why would you ever assume like someone's a, p- a political affiliation? But then, you know, like the thing that was so interesting about her is like, there were instances in the future where she really had my back, like truly. And then I was able to reciprocate the favor to her. And we've actually like we're leading totally different lives now, but we've actually kind of has stayed in touch even now to this day. And, and she has rooted me on. Mm. And it's just like these, this is where I've just like, I'd rather kind of look at the content of the person at times too. And, um, how I could have written her off and been just totally like, you know, Oh, well, forget you. Like, how could you, you know, be different before this, this person or whatever. It is interesting. Like how I've had people that maybe had the same belief systems in me, but maybe, you know, they didn't always have like those personal core values either. And so, you know, we're all complex human beings and it takes more work to, to understand somebody more fully uh, and to, to, to see the complexity behind them. And it, it's, you know, it's easier to write somebody off uh, through their beliefs that they might kind of flippantly say or, or whatnot, or their color or their background or whatever. So um, yeah. yeah. I, I agree with that. I, I feel like um, that's really nice. And I, and that's the other thing about cancer cult, cancel culture is that you, not everyone is given the enough rope to grow and shift. Mm, yeah. uh, certainly when I moved to San Francisco, I would have, I was honest with someone once and I said, you know, I think actually um, uh, transsexuals make me a little squeamish, mm. you know, or, or um, guy, uh, guys that dress, what is that called? Um RuPaul. Oh, like a drag queen. Drag Drag queens. queens. Drag queens make me a little uncomfortable. And and then over the, you know, you grow and you meet and you talk to people. And then I I got on the board of um, 
the Asian Pacific Islander Wellness Center, which was a, a you know, a, a, a care uh, location for transgender people. Mm. It's, it sh- I shifted yeah. because of contact and communication and, and learning. And, and um, I just think Al Franken should have been given another shot. That's all. <laughs> wow, you're stuck on that. <laughs> I am. I am stuck on poor Ab, poor Mr. Franken. Yeah, but we should have, you know, and that's the thing is when we look at ourselves, we've said stupid things at times, we've made mistakes. It's just interesting that we don't give that to other people at times. I mean, I understand there could be a statue of limitations, <laughs> but. But at the same time, like we ourselves, when we look at our past, we've done things that, you know, we're short-sighted and, and we've changed or we've evolved. So I think it's important sometimes to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, but at the same time, you know, like the boundaries are important too. And to, you know, certain behaviors are, you know, it's okay to voice that, you know, it's not acceptable if it's, you know, encroaching on, you know, on people in an unhealthy way. But mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a balance, I guess it's, but you know, all this stuff is not easy. No, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it just isn't. So mm-hmm. well, that's, I mean, that's also where the practice really helps us, I think. And I'm sure you can attest to that too, is finding that, that balance between, you know, effort and ease or between striving too much and letting yourself off the hook. And we're constantly trying to find that middle path, find that place where we're allowing and and being receptive but also being active and um you know doing our part and Mm. and then it's it's the same with the life and i i love the yoga so much for that is that it's it it teaches us all these lessons within our the fiber of our own being within our own bodies and minds and then we are able to kind of start to look at life a little differently hopefully (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I don't think I could have said it any better. I think this is why this is the perfect reason to, to show up and come to the mat, no matter how you perform, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just showing up and tuning in, aligning, um, to that, you know, that greater energy inspiration and just letting it flow. And I think too, that sense of also, the other thing with the practice, it, it keeps me curious. It keeps me in that space to learn and explore and that I don't know everything, that there's so many mysterious things that ruminate in the world. And I, I'm always delighted when I learn something new and I'm open to that. And 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 also I'm delighted when I got something wrong, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and I can make the shift to change. And I like that agility, that adaptability that the practice also teaches us to work within. So it's just, it's priceless, you know, like all the, and I, I also really feel that the practice, it's a catalyst to learn these lessons. If you, if you're really tuning in, you know, we, we see our dark spots, we see some of our weaknesses and our, and if we just lean into it, we're aware of it and we do what we can to gather the strength to to change what isn't useful to us anymore. Um, that's deep work, you know, and it's so valuable. Yeah, totally. Well, I just 
I'm just really, I've really enjoyed this conversation with you, Ms. Glazer, and I'm looking forward to the next time we get to speak. And um, maybe we could all have a COVID holiday and go to go to Sweden and get away from yeah, everything. Yeah, I'd love. You should come while. to Ireland. <laughs> I would like that. He's never been. So. I've never been. No. Oh, yeah. I have a, I have a lot of Danish furniture, but I don't have, I don't, I haven't been to Sweden. (laughs) (laughs) You have to come. I mean, the thing is, Scandinavia is just so, the nature is so beautiful and so stunning. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course you have it in Canada too. Yeah. Similar, similar climates. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe it'll seem the same, but uh, yeah. yeah, like just even Stockholm, I, even though I've been living here for quite a while, I just still feel like it's one of the most beautiful cities. Oh, yeah, incredible. Well, I hope we get to see you. Yeah. In I person hope. again one day. <laughs> I hope so. That would be great. That would be great. How how could people find you if they just if they found themselves in, in Stockholm? How, how could they come to your class? Oh, so we have our Meister program at um, a studio um, named Yogayama. Hmm. So it's it's pretty much in central Stockholm in the Ostermalm area of Stockholm. And we, I think we're coming up this next week will be 10 years we've had our Meister program. That's a huge feat. Yeah, so congratulations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So we're going to have a celebration hopefully soon. Yeah. Celebrate. So amazing. And there's a, is there a website? Oh yeah. So of course the schedule is on like uh, yogayama.se and also on my own website, uh, larugayoga.com. Okay. So yeah. So we still have our, our classes here and, and we get quite a few visitors too coming through, but maybe not recently, but, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, we do get like quite a few people passing through Stockholm, which is always nice. We always love having visitors. So sneaky refugees, maybe. (laughs) 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 Wonderful. Well, please give our love to David too. And it was just such a, such a joy and a real honor to chat with you today. I feel like yeah. My whole day has been enriched by your words and wisdom. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It was really lovely to to speak with both of you. And I was a little bit nervous, but I felt very comfortable. So I thank you for that. Oh, oh cool. Our pleasure. Good. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking waves, there's a heart.